Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mindshifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mindshifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, June 21st, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that page and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled Why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. It contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game. And it contains a copy of or that Dragon Klingon game is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope that people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they do that, and secondarily because it often prompts comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate your doing it by calling us at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1, 
it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I can turn on your microphone and announce you by your area code. And as we like to say, I appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And if we know how these things are landing for you, how it's it's um, striking you as useful, etc., then it's far easier for us to live into that intention. So, We have plenty of time for a comment or a question, an answer or a testimonial. We had our support group last night, and um, I think we had five or six people plus me when we listened to a Guy Finley lecture that he did on Sunday. And... um, And if there aren't any hands up, I will go back to uh, what I was reading from the the book, A Walk in the Physical, by Christian Sundberg. And that was uh, on Monday, I believe I was reading from there. And I had just finished... Um, reading an essay that... Um, talks about the different types of growth. Loving intent transcends all axes. And there was one that I had read which triggered some strong emotions in me as the idea of what we... Um, what we sacrifice when we do what we feel is right in the process of, of moving, growing towards love in all the many ways that are possible. So, um, that's not coming to mind right now. I'm I'm flipping through that last essay, and I thought I had it marked for today, but apparently I've been in this Kindle book since then, and um, and I've read past that point. Oh, here it is. Um, so it is in the essay um, titled. Um, Loving intent transcends all axes. So I'll go back and read this rather lengthy uh, essay from the beginning. It's essay number 115. And the essay reads, Our walk in the physical is a journey of experiential growth. It is a fundamental part of that growth that is improving what Tom Campbell calls our quality of intent. That is, evolving our deepest reasons for being here, our deepest why we're here, and evolving it towards love and evolving it past fear. 
reminds me of the quote from Way of Mastery where it says, once you understand the truth of how you're creating your own fear, you'll never again fear fear. It doesn't say you'll never feel fear. I understand these emotions can come up, these thoughts that are in the collective unconscious can move through our minds, we can pour energy into them, we can generate these emotions, and yet we don't have to be moved by the emotions. We don't have to let them drive our thoughts and behavior. We don't have to fear the experience of the emotion of fear. So Tom Campbell, who is one of the mentors of Christian Sundberg, Christian Sundberg has put together this book that we're reading titled A Walk in the Physical. And one of his primary teachers and philosophers and physicists is Tom Campbell. And Tom Campbell calls our quality of intent and improving it one of the most important jobs we have when we decide to take physical form and the the goal of being in physical form related to our quality of intent is to evolve it towards love and past fear and the essay says this movement does not occur on just one axis we are multi-dimensional beings so our expansion towards love is also multidimensional. Yet, since all we remember is our experience in this universe of duality, as we explore how best to respond to questions of spirituality or morality, we sometimes assume that we should be, quote, moving in one direction and not the other, close quote. We sometimes imagine that there is one axis for any given spiritual or moral choice. There's good, bad, right, wrong, immoral, moral. And we assume that as spiritual people, we start wondering if we should be moving in one direction along that axis. For example, we ask, should we always be peaceful? Or is it sometimes acceptable to harm others? Should we strive and exert will to accomplish things, or should we relinquish our effort and just surrender? Should we always give in when another has need, or should we cut them off if we feel that it's best for them? We might even include thoughts like, should we believe in religious teachings, or should we let them go? Now, in all these deliberations, the paramount question we should be asking ourselves is, why are we making the choice that we are making? Are we truly motivated by the best interests of the other and of the whole? Or are we actually motivated to protect and serve ourselves? The thing that flashed into my mind is, here's a parent Here's a well-intentioned, loving parent. And the parent has a four- or five-year-old child. And the four- or five-year-old child is very intelligent and very strong-willed and has been watching the patterns and knows just how to push the parent's buttons 
to get the parent frustrated or angry or whatever. And the child has learned that when that parent gets frustrated and angry enough, they blow up and then they feel horrible about it and then they give the child whatever the child wanted. So, in that situation, when the parent gives in and gives the child an extra ice cream or permission to stay up late or watch a movie that the parent had decided was too mature for the child, when that's happening, what's the motivation in the parent? Is the motivation in the parent to do what's absolutely best for the child? The answer is no. The motivation in the parent at that point is to make up for what they're assuming is a shortcoming on their point, on their part, because they got frustrated and they yelled and they need to make amends or they need to, you know, backpedal. It isn't so much that it's so devastating that you give the child an extra ice cream cone or you let them stay up late. What's not working well is for my growth is if I'm the parent in that and I give in because I don't want to feel my own discomfort. And so I end up making decisions that some part of me clearly knows are not in the best interest of this other person, however old he or she might be. So in all of these deliberations, this essay says, the paramount question we should be asking ourselves is, why are we making this choice? Are we truly motivated by the best interests of the other and of the whole? Or are we actually motivated to protect or serve ourselves? And as we genuinely explore that question, we find that even in love, different circumstances may demand different answers. It may be meaningful then to recognize that as we refine the quality of our intent towards love, when it comes to making spiritual or moral choices, choices, there are two important ways that we grow spiritually. The first way that we grow spiritually is that we grow strong in being able to perform in any given direction. Put in another way, we strengthen a given virtue. We see how far and how deep we can go in making any given choice, even when the circumstance is difficult. So in response to the above examples, we learn how to be peaceful, even in the face of conflict. And we learn how to be courageous and to intervene when necessary, even in the face of danger. We learn how to strive and exert great effort and we learn how to release control and surrender. We learn how to be selfless and give all that we can, even at the expense of ourself, and we learn how to refuse. We learn when and how deeply to put our faith in the ideas of the world and when to go on our own way. Any one of these or many thousands of other aspects of experiential learning can be its own lesson. Sometimes we can spend an entire lifetime or more just experientially learning one type of strength. But each 
of these qualities and a great many more have their meaningful place in consciousness-based creation. So the first way we grow is by strengthening our ability to go in any given direction. The second way we grow is that we refine our ability to best discern which choice, which force or direction to employ in any given circumstance. In other words, way to say this is we grow in wisdom. As we learn from our experiences and repeatedly live the results of our own intentions, we experientially develop discernment that is unobscured by the ego. We develop clarity of awareness when appraising both external and internal environments. We do this such that we can appropriately identify and acknowledge what will best serve the totality, the whole, all that is. We grow in our ability to make the best choice for the betterment of others. And we refine our ability to identify and select that choice even when the circumstances are complex and even when the personal costs may be great. That's the line that triggered the strong emotions for me. We grow in our ability to make the best choice for the betterment of others, and we refine our ability to identify and select that choice even when the circumstances are complex and even when the personal costs may be great. So both of these types of growth are precious to the spirit. The spirit seeks to mightily develop both as it journeys through lifetimes. Your spirit seeks to develop both of these ways to grow. To strengthen your ability to go in any given direction, depending upon what it might be needed, and your ability to discern which direction will best serve the totality of others and life itself. Even when the circumstances are complex and the personal costs to you and or your ego may be great. Both these types of growth contribute toward the expansion of love. Love is not on one axis. It encompasses them all. Love encompasses many virtues, such as peace, bravery, will, and release, charity and discipline, faith and self-reliance, rest and service, self-love and love for others, confidence and humility, prudence and sacrifice, and many, many more. In truth, the two ways that we grow that are described above, these are not separate. And these dualistic ideas are very crude representations of the complex evolution of our intention, of our intent. But for we who are rooted in the duality, 
it can be helpful to recognize that there is not one teaching or behavior that can fully communicate what it means to grow spiritually. Rather, each one of us should do our best to meet our experience fully, genuinely, and selflessly wherever we are without without necessarily leaning on a given belief or axis. Each of us should do our best to meet our experience in each new present moment, meet it fully, meet it genuinely, meet it selflessly, wherever we are, without necessarily leaning on a given belief or set of conclusions, or their word here is axis. This wide-open approach helps us to use the human experience for all that it is meant to be, and it facilitates growth towards love in all of the many ways that are possible. Wide-open growth in all the many ways that are possible. So an excellent set of questions for me that has been coming up since I read that two days ago. I think I've read it before, but when I read it two days it two days ago on Monday, it really resonated some strong sadness in me. And you know, it's all in 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 the context. I've got, you know, patients in my caseload who are in ICU in the hospital, I've got patients in my caseload whose parents have cancer, I've got patients in my caseload with very difficult divorce situations going on. So it, within that context, it's not real clear to me. What is it just the words on the page and what I'm making them mean about how I've made some difficult choices that have had quite a high personal cost? in choosing for what I think is right, or is it just resonating some of the energies that are with me because of all these people I know that are going through very difficult life circumstances? But a good series of questions is, okay, so where have I followed what my my internal guidance says is the right thing to do even though it has cost me financially or even though it has cost me relationships or even though it has cost me um, some kind of professional standing in someone's eyes or some it's tarnished my image in some people's eyes. Where have I chosen for what my internal guidance says is the right thing to do even though it cost me heavily but I believe it was the best thing for those around me. Another good set of questions is, where did I fold and didn't follow my internal guidance for fear of recrimination from someone or for fear of being attacked or laughed at or losing some status? 
socially or professionally, etc. This morning as I was getting ready, I had a flash to um, the turmoil that was coming up around my getting my license in psychology. And I had gone to a professional school of psychology in Chicago, within the Chicago area. And, and at that time, there were probably eight or nine different schools within the Chicago area that I could have gotten my doctorate from. And as I surveyed them, I chose this one school because they had a collaborative model. They had the teachers and students working together. They had It wasn't a cutthroat academic environment. They were when I interviewed the students there at the beginning and the advanced level, they lined up with what the professors were saying, that they all are working together to build good therapists. So that's the school I chose. And because I had to work three and four jobs at a time, and um, I got burned out after the first year and a third of trying to go full-time, I went to part-time and because of that, it took me nine and a half years to finish the degree and get the dissertation done. And then I sat for the, I had to work for a year after after they said, okay, congratulations, Dr. Hayes. And then I had to work for a year under a licensed clinical psychologist, and then I could sit for the licensing exam. So I sat for the licensing exam, and fortunately for all parties involved, I passed quite nicely. I got, you know, I went to to the examination with several other students that I'd been studying with and tutoring them on statistics, and they were helping coach me in other areas, and we we all passed. And we got our scores. And then... We started the calls of, okay, now we're going to submit this to our licensing board and with all of our transcripts and everything, and hopefully we'll all get our license. And the call started coming in, and three of the four of us that went down there from the same school took the test, got their license. And I got a notification that says, we're not giving you a license despite the fact that I went to the same school, had as good or better grades, and that I passed the licensing exam with a higher score than the others. So this was a little hard to understand. So I started making calls, and I had people calling me, hey, isn't this great? You know, Doris and Pete and John all called me, and Martha called me, and they all passed, and... I didn't. I didn't get a license. I mean, I passed the test, but I didn't get the license. So now what do you do? So I started making calls, and I called the president of the school. Now, the school had been through all kinds of shifts and changes over the years, including a scandal involving somebody who ripped them off for a quarter million dollars. And so the school had their turmoil. But I called the current president of the school and asked for advice. And I literally felt sick to my stomach listening to his advice. 
he was not advocating for me. He said, oh, don't mess with the licensing board. You're best off just waiting another six months and reapplying. And, oh, if you get them angry at you, they can make your life miserable for your whole career. And I wouldn't rock the boat. And I just felt sick to my stomach. And I hung up that phone, and my gut was telling me, this is not what you should be doing. And I got right on the phone and called an attorney who had been recommended to me. And he said, write this up and send it to me, and I'll advise you. And he advised me, and we went back and forth. And I crafted a letter to the licensing board and said, here's the facts. I started in this school before these people. I finished at this school with my classes. I got a higher grade on the test at the same test than they did, and they applied and got a license, and you rejected mine. I need to know why. And within a week and a half time, I called to follow up on that letter, and this person at the licensing board was not at all happy with me. I'm in, I am in possession of your threatening letter. And there was no threat in the letter. But, but you, we already sent your license out, and, of course, they sent it out after the letter. And everything worked out because I followed my gut. And I didn't. I listened to my gut when it was that sick feeling in my stomach when the president of the school was telling me, just roll over, don't stand up for yourself, don't advocate for yourself, don't make any waves. Well, come to find out. He was advising that because the school was being investigated for some of these scandals that had gone on. And he didn't want me or anybody else making waves that would make his job harder. So what situations have I been in in my life where I've followed my gut and it's worked out well? And what situations have I been in in my life where I didn't follow my intuition or my gut feeling, and then I regret it after the fact. I've been over this a number of times over the last 49 years of living life and doing therapy and trainings, and every time I do it, I have yet to find a situation where I followed my gut, I followed my intuition, it was calm, it was centered, it was focused, and then I regretted what I did. I have many times where I got an intuitive hit, I didn't listen to it, I rationalized a way to stay in the situation or keep the relationship going or fold or stand up for myself or whatever against my intuition. And every time I've done those reviews, I have not been happy with the results. So even though the cost to me may be high, what I have learned in my life is when I continue to grow in these two ways, to develop the strength it takes to to move in any direction, whether it's to be more loving in a situation where people are yelling at me or to be more firm and stand up for myself and somebody else when people are attacking, whether it's to be more willing to fold and let go of my uh, sense of urgency to be right or to stand up for what I know is right. When I grow in both of those directions on every axis, and then 
I grow by reviewing the choices I've made and the consequences. And I learn this thing from direct experience in life that we call wisdom. I learn from my experiences and I repeatedly live the results from my own intentions. I take 100% responsibility, the way of mastery says. So you plant a garden and and you go out in a few weeks later and everything's dead. And you stand there and instead of saying, oh, it must have been you know, the fertilizer they sold me or the bad seeds, or just say, this is my garden. I have done this. This is my creation. Well, I better go to the store because I can't eat this. 100% responsibility for the experience of life. As I take more and more responsibility for the choices and the experiences I have, I grow in wisdom. And I can't grow in that wisdom unless I'm taking deeper and deeper responsibility for every aspect of my choices and their consequences. Area code 828, you're in the air. Oh, hello. Um, Can you hear me? Are we connected? Yes, is Magda? This is Magda, yes. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I was thinking back as you were were asking those questions. And indeed, I confirm for myself as well as you have that whenever I have had that gut reaction, that intuition to do something or not do something, and I have not listened to it, I've talked myself out of it in various ways, and boy, oh boy, it's always turned bad for me. It's like, okay, that was uh, not something to do again, but I've done it again, of course, and learned again, and (laughs) so I'm a little bit wiser now um, most times. Uh, So yes, I I totally agree, and I want to give a silly example of how listening to my intuition worked. Uh, Just last week, Chuck and I were at a concert, and it was a very large auditorium, very expensive tickets. It was a musical concert, and the sound system was way off, very, very distorted to the extent where it was just kind of painful for me to listen. The concert was good, the musicians, the singer, everything, except the sound system. And so um, I checked with people I was seated with, during the intermission when it first began and I, and yep, they were experiencing the same thing. I thought maybe it was just me. No, it was everybody in who I talked to. So I decided, well, maybe there is something that can be done about this. And I went back and attempted to uh, talk with the sound engineers. They seemed to have had some bodyguards <laughs> or some, some kind of guards uh, who we're not inclined to allow me to speak to them. And, um, and those people didn't hear any distortion. So I thought, okay, this isn't going to work. And, um, and I just decided I would put some, some uh, 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 rolled up paper in my you know, tissue in my ears and do the best I could to enjoy. 
And then I went looking for a water fountain and stumbled upon this wonderful young lady who was um, manning the, the manager's booth for the evening and approached her and told her what my experience was and that I checked with other people and they were having the same experience. And so she said, I'll, I'll relay that to the sound people. And um, I was so amazed because it worked. In the second half of the show, the sound was perfect. And again, I checked with other people at the, at the end, and they said, oh, my, that was such an improvement. And it was amazing to me, and I hope there were other people who made the same request, and maybe they got the message through many of us, but maybe not. Maybe I was the only one who got up out of my seat and decided to do something about it. I don't care because the reality is that I followed by intuition and it was beneficial. So I was pretty pretty excited about that. So um, I just wanted to share that, yep, I agree with you completely. And I also want to share that I, I love you reading these um, this book and, and the way you're reading it, repeating certain aspects that are so important to hear again and reading them very slowly so my brain can take them in. And I, I'm grateful for that very, very much so. Well, I am glad to hear it. I, um, you know, I, I get a little feedback once in a while. There's quite a lot of... Uh, consideration that goes into this and um, I understand that what I get from this book when I'm reading it or I get when I listen to somebody reading it is really strongly dependent upon where I am mm-hmm. at that time in that day etc and so I I don't look for constant feedback although whenever it comes I welcome it um, I think the uh, the benefit to me is enough that it's kept me going for these years to do this mm. this show, uh, and then I just have to hope that it's having some benefit for others. You know, that's part of what I was just reading is that. Um, the cost to me may be great, and yet that's only the cost at a certain level of scale, right? That's a cost to my egoic mind, or that's a cost to my pocketbook, or it's a cost to the time level that I have. That's now, if I'm spending this much time preparing for these shows and doing these Internet shows and doing the support groups, that's less time I have to make money at things. That's less time I have to do other activities. So there's a cost. Mm -hmm. And yet, at this other level, at what some of us might think is the, the real important level, growing the quality of my intent in life, it's paying me far more than it's costing me. I'm benefiting Mm -hmm far more than I'm losing. I'm evolving that deepest sense of why I'm here and what I'm doing when I'm spending so much time 
thinking about these issues, actively watching them in my life, reading about them, discussing them with others, there's a level of benefit for me that can't be measured in the finances or the time, how many hours a week do you do this, etc. Absolutely. Got it. Well, I'm glad you're benefiting because I am and everyone else who listens, I believe, is also. So thank you again. And and I'm absolutely delighted that you're getting something out of it every time as well. Well, yeah, and I, I, I quite literally, in, in this thing where, you know, I was just talking in this last essay about how the growth and expansion towards love, toward the intention towards love, is not just in mm-hmm. one direction. So if I am not doing those things that help me grow, that are nourishing me, if everything I do is in the self-sacrifice and for the benefit of others, to the detriment of me, it's not benefiting anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember the, the line from the, the the mirror theory, one of those, you know, that just to remind people who may be listening for the first time, the mirror, mirror theory is, it, to my mind, it's not like the, the Course in, in Miracles or the Way of Mastery, but it's a book that came into my life at a time when the timing was perfect for me. And it, to this day, it remains the book that I have put more post-it note tabs and underlinings in than any other book, unless I was teaching a class from it. Uh-huh. Right. So this is this is for my own personal use only the book that's been the most marked up of any book. And you know, Post-it Note has these multicolored tabs that you can put in on a page, right. and it doesn't ruin the page. Now there's a red or a blue or a yellow thing sticking out. And those tabs on this book have been worn so much that their colors are coming off. And there's got to be over 30, maybe pushing 40 tabs in this book. And that doesn't count the underlinings. So in that book, and I'm not saying everybody should go read that book, I'm just saying that that book came to me at a critical time in my life that so many of these wonderful statements I wanted to go back and find again and underline and reread. And one of them had to do with how no loving gift is ever truly given if the giver is not respected in the process. Oh. Read that again, please, and say that again. No loving gift. No, no loving gift is ever truly given if the giver is not respected in the process. And what does that mean to you? Well, it's from a story of a woman who loved to cook and people loved to eat her cooking. And her reputation Uh grew and people would start showing up and have these wonderful feasts and say how great it was, but then they'd leave and they wouldn't help with the cleanup. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and they wouldn't contribute food or they wouldn't help with the preparation and it just kept growing and growing and people just kept expecting her to do this and she was growing in this resentment mm-hmm. and, and and the teacher finally came along and said look there's it's not a bad thing for you to say if you want to eat here contribute mm-hmm. right? bring some food help with the preparation do the cleanup and if you don't want to do that then you don't really want to eat here that's loving and respecting you if you keep giving to the point where you're burned out and resentful this is not a blessing to anyone mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the summary statement was no loving gift is given unless the giver is respected in the process if it's abusive if it's mm-hmm. draining somebody dry if there's no you know exchange of energy in the give and take if there's no appreciation gratitude not just in words but in actions if i'm doing it you know just from my end if i'm only doing it because i feel compelled and i'm trying to avoid going to hell right i think if i don't do this or that if i don't do all of this beat myself up and if i don't do that then i won't Uh, avoid hell but I'm resenting Mm -hmm. everything I do that's quote loving or giving to others yeah certainly it's like giving giving Christmas presents because it's Christmas birthday presents because it's someone's birthday and not really wanting to and and giving Christmas presents and putting yourself in credit card debt Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Very important to do that. You know, it's, it's just plain silliness. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, I'd like to segue, if you feel complete on that, to uh, a discussion you were having yesterday um, with Susan and, um, gee, who else? Selinda and Anne called in. And it was about Susan's concern about what's happening with um, our ecosystem and and what can we do. And so there was a, a great deal of talk about, well, we could do this, we could do that. <clears throat> and something that occurred to me way toward the end, otherwise I would have called in, but it was, there wasn't any time, um, is my, my attitude. Um, and I thought, well, okay, missed that opportunity to share my take on it. And then <laughs> this morning, I pulled a card. It's one of these, uh, a box of cards of um, um, the saying, some of the sayings from, um, oh my goodness, now I'm going to have to take a look. Which one is this? Um, well-being cards from Esther and Gary Hicks. And so this was from one of Abraham's talks. And the bottom line is, it is not my work to control others. And then there are a couple little sentences about that. 
trying to limit anybody about anything defies the laws of the universe, it cannot be done. You cannot control others, but you can control and create your own reality. And the only reason I, I wanted to read that is because it, reading that this morning, I kind of got, oh, maybe I should call in today and say what I wanted to say yesterday. And, um, and it's very important, the idea of controlling only my reality and knowing that it's impossible to control anyone else's. Okay, so yesterday what I was thinking is, yes, there are many, many things that we as individuals can do to help um, to help our earth home, hopefully, eventually to be healthier. Um, and I know that's the ideal of many of us. Um, and, and there are things we can do locally as well as individually. And in addition to those things, what I like to do when I meditate is to, um, I guess, dedicate. Yeah, that would be the word. Dedicate love and loving energy. Radiate love, the love that I am, you are, we all are, to those people in this world who make the choices and decisions which have a lot to do with the degrading of our um, of our society and our earth and the air and the water and so forth. And I used to start out doing it with focusing on certain people like Putin, for instance, the gas and oil conglomerates and and um, conglomerates and and the people who run those and benefit by them, uh, big pharma, blah 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 blah, and on and on. And, and I realized, and by, and by doing doing it, you mean focusing loving energy toward them, right? And this okay. is important to yes, important to add is that I focused this loving energy toward them so that they would shape up. <laughs> they would change their minds and their hearts about how they were acting, the decisions they were making, which were having a large effect on all of the rest of us and you know many, many other people. So I had my goals for them and to change them, I was going to toss a lot of love at them, right? And I finally realized, oh my goodness, I need to step out of this. I cannot control them by love or any other means, all I can do is love them. Love them, love me, love you, love everybody, and, and do it because it's for the highest and best of everything. And I have no idea what that is. I know what I think I would like it to be. Now, I want certain other decisions to be made about how, how cars are propelled, and so forth and so on. But I don't really know. I don't know that that would be the best and highest for all of us. Um, and so I really had to take a step down and remove my goals for all of these other people and all these other factions. And anyway, I do think that that is something that, um, that we can do. 
we can well and so how is it feeling for you to be doing that uh, very freeing very very freeing yeah yeah it is and that and that's what we have you know that's what we're encouraging people to focus on in this work is you know at that core level of what's going on inside you how is your choice working out for you in this moment so if you tie your expectations to you know the global effects of climate change or certain types of fossil fuels being used or certain political outcomes then you you don't really get the you know um, a good standard to evaluate how is it working and yet in each moment you can look inside yourself and say okay how do i feel when i choose this love and I'm not choosing it to try and force or manipulate somebody to change. I'm choosing mm-hmm. it because it feels good for me to have loving energy moving through me mm-hmm. and extending that, you know, emotionally, energetically to the people around me. Yeah. It's a huge, huge difference. Um, it, it reminds me what happened the other day in the internet show it was probably I don't know six months ago or so but all of a sudden someone was talking about you know please um, send prayers for everything to work out for the highest and best of this of all the people in this situation and it just hit me like one of those full body realization experiences wait a minute that's really not useful for me to pray for Right? That's still asking for something to be different than it is. What, what's really useful for me to pray for is for me to see and or for anybody else to see how life itself is always unfolding for the highest and best of all mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. I remember that show. And, and that really definitely uh, was an important thing for me to hear. And and I completely agree. And so when I when I stray into that area where I want it to be a certain way, I I'm constantly needing to refresh my memory that it's all happening for the highest and best, though we don't perhaps see it or think oh, that we that is we, true. we can't see it. We can't see it, mm-hmm. right? What are we getting? We're getting a a fraction of one percent of what's hitting our senses and only a fraction of 1% of what's actually going on or hitting our senses. So we, there's no way we can see the mm-hmm. divine plan, the divine itself, etc. It reminds mm-hmm. me of the story that Michael would tell about going down. He was in Florida and he was low on money and all this big story. And he was going down to give the lecture titled still waiting for your ship to come in. Which one did you mm-hmm. send out? Yeah. And he remembers exactly where he was on the road when he got the insight. Hey, Michael, you either believe this stuff you're teaching or you don't. And if you believe it, you get off of this highway and you go to a bank and you cash in all those pennies and dollars in your wallet and get a $100 bill and give it away. Mm-hmm. Well, we we talk about how all is in divine order and this and that. And then we talk about praying for it to work out the way we think is the highest and best. And, right. and, and that just 
all of a sudden struck me as just ludicrous. And what's better to to pray for is the understanding, the the ways to see how or to trust that everything's always working out for our highest and best, even when we can't see it with whatever's presenting itself consciously, logically, or whatever my ego wants it to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. I I see that we don't have much time left. There was um, something that I wanted to ask a bit of help and guidance on, but I think it's going to have to be a different call on a different day. So um, I think I will um, uh, sign off and well, please feel free to call back tomorrow or Friday if if that fits with yeah. what's going on for you to um, request help and guidance. If there's anything I can do to assist with that, I'd be happy to. Super. Good. I know it won't be tomorrow. We just got some company, uh, and so we're tomorrow's tied up, but perhaps Friday or Monday or whatever. So wishing you a wonderful evening and um, talk with you soon and listening every day all right thank Thank you you. blessings i will uh thank you for the call and i i saw two other hands go up out of the corner of my eye um and we didn't have time but please feel free to call again tomorrow or the next day uh, or if it's a question michael and Jeannie can answer raise your hand again I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate you. Hope you have a good rest of your afternoon. Well, you're welcome and deserving. Have a great show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, June the 21st, 2023. And their call-in number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. And um, I posted some pictures. If you go to the website and click on um, uh, healing of Hold on. I'm trying to go to it at the same time, so i give you the exact information. So if you go to healing and then go down to healing from the ground up, you'll see Homegrown Park and our Homegrown Park progress. And I posted a bunch of pictures, so it starts out with the, the hillside where we kind of chopped it up and, and blocked it off and put cardboard, and then we put mulch and soil and all kinds of stuff on it and smoothed it out and and then it goes to where we put in the uh, archway and the grapes and the walkway and we added plastic to kill grass that ha- that the cardboard hadn't killed. We've added all kinds of things to it so um, we'll be putting on there we've actually just expanded it another 700 square feet and so we'll be putting information out there that you can um, keep up with our homegrown park and see how it's going. So we welcome you to the show. I hope that you're using the app. Uh, you can download it for free on your phone. Whether you use, uh, whether you have an Android or an iPhone, you can get the app for free from either store. And it's called Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And it 
when it, you start typing in Heartland Aramaic, it'll come up with a, a glowing heart, and you click on that and download it. And it has the option to give us your name and email and phone number so we can add you to our mailing list. But if you don't click the box to add you, then we don't get the information. And all of your worksheets are free and private, and if you, unless you download it to your phone, and then it's just on your phone, and you can print it. There's only two requests that it asks for. The first one is to be able to use the Internet for the app to work. And the second one, if you decide to download it or print it, then it needs access to a part of your phone to be able to do that. Other than that, it's totally private, and we hope that you're putting that to use. We've expanded it. There's the option to ask a question from any page and every page. And uh, so we're there to support you in any way that we can. So I'm going to start reading from, continue reading from the chapter. This is out of Michael Singer's book called The Untethered Soul. And the chapter that we're reading is chapter 7. It's called Transcending the Tendency to Close. And what we were talking about yesterday is being able to be apart from the action, just an observer of what's going on, let the experiences come and go, and not be emotionally attached or to um, push them down. And in a little bit different way, he talks about that when we do suppress these, um, what did he call them, Uh, uh, let me find it here. Samskaras, um, and that's where he talks about, you know, pu- pushing the energy down and locking it into tissue, and then when it gets triggered and it comes up, and that you can either let it flow on through or you can uh, get lost in it again and make it a present experience. So he, he says the same thing we do, just uses a little bit different words. He hasn't used the word forgiveness yet or canceling the goal, but we'll see where it goes from here. So... If you aren't centered, your consciousness is just following whatever catches its attention. Yeah, that was another thing is that, you know, um, you might be focusing on one thing, but if something else comes into your space that's either loud or um, like right out there that it grabs your attention away from what you were concentrating on before. You know, you could be meditating and then something happens and it pulls you out of your meditation and you start focusing on something else. So... Um, you see the car drive by and you're off doing something about it. Another day and then it's all about the boat and you forget about the car. There are people like that. They don't hold jobs very well and relationships don't tend to work out for them. They're just all over the place with their energy and it's very scattered. You have the ability to not go with any of these thoughts. You can just Sit in the seat of consciousness and let go. A thought or emotion emerges. You notice it and it passes by because you allow it to. This technique of freeing yourself is done with the understanding that thoughts and emotions are just objects of consciousness. Actually, Aria and I were talking about that this morning and that she was pretending that one of her dolls was sad. And I'm like, okay, well, ask her what the thought is behind the sadness and then tell her to change the thought to something that's happy. 
And she said, well, that it was not going to see her friend for a week. And I said, okay. I said, so change that thought to, oh, I get to see her again next week. So it's saying basically the same thing, but the focus is different. Instead of the focus being on loss, the focus is on what are you going to get then next week? You get to see her again. And so we're learning that and working on it. And a couple times this morning she's told me to cancel a thought when I've said something that was um, not properly worded. And so I love that she's catching that now. So when he, when Michael Singer talks about letting go, that's, you know, being conscious of the goal and then canceling the goal. A thought or emotion emerges. You notice it and it passes by because you allow it to. This to freeing yourself is done with the understanding that thoughts and emotions are just objects of consciousness. When you see your heart start getting anxious, and they're talking about the spiritual heart, but of course you can feel it physically in your physical heart, you are obviously aware of this experience. But who is aware? It is the consciousness, the indwelling being, the soul, the self. It is the seer and the one who sees. The changes you experience in your inner energy flow are simple objects of this consciousness. If you want to be free, then every time you feel any change in the energy flow, relax behind it. Don't fight with it. Don't try to change it. Don't judge it. Of course, he's using regulatory speech here. We would word it positively instead of negatively. But uh, Don't say, oh, I can't believe I'm still feeling this. I promised myself I wouldn't think about that car anymore. Don't do that. Just You'll just end up going with the guilt thoughts instead of the car thoughts. You have to let them all go. But it's not just about letting go of thoughts and emotions. It's actually about letting go of the pull that the energy itself has on your consciousness. The disturbed energy is trying to draw your attention into it. If you use your inner willpower to not go with it and just remain scared or just remain seated within, you will notice that the distinction between the consciousness and the object of consciousness is like night and day. They are totally different things. The object comes and goes. And the consciousness watches it come and go. And then the next object comes and goes while the consciousness watches it. Both objects came and went, but the consciousness didn't go anywhere. It stays constant and simply watches all of it. The consciousness experiences the creation of thoughts and emotions, and it has the clarity to see where they came from. It sees all of this without thinking about it, It sees what's going on inside as easily as it sees what's going on outside. It simply watches. The self is watching the inside energies change in accordance to both inside and outside forces. All the energies that it watches will just come and go unless you lose your center of consciousness and go with them. Take a slow motion look at what happens if you go with those energies. First, you start to have a thought or feeling. This feeling could be as subtle as your energy flow starting to tighten and become defensive. 
or it could be something much stronger. If these energies capture your consciousness and all the power of awareness gets focused on them, this power actually feeds them. Consciousness is tremendously powerful force. When you concentrate on the thoughts and emotions, they become charged with energy and power. This is why thoughts and emotions get stronger the more attention is given to them. Let's say you feel a little jealousy or a little fear. If you focus on it, it grows in importance and demands more of your attention. And then because your attention feeds it, it becomes infused with even more energy and draws more attention. That's how the cycle goes. Eventually, what started as a passing thought or emotion can become the center of your entire life. If you don't let go, it can get completely out of control. A wise person remains centered enough to let go every time the energy shifts into a defensive mode. The moment the energy moves and you feel your consciousness start to get drawn into it, relax, release. Letting go means falling behind the energy instead of going into it. It just takes a moment of conscious effort to decide that you're not going there. You just let go. It's simple. It's simply a matter of taking the risk that you're better off letting go than going with the energy. When you're free from the hold that the energy has on you, you'll be free to experience the joy and expansiveness that exists within you. So you decide to use life to free yourself. You become willing to pay any price for the freedom of your soul. You'll realize that the only price that you have to pay is letting go of yourself. Only you can take inner freedom away from yourself and give it to yourself or give it to yourself. Nobody else can. Doesn't matter what others do unless you decide it matters to you. Begin with small things. We tend to let ourselves get bothered by the little meaningless things that happen every day. For example, somebody beeps at you at the stoplight. As these little things happen, you will feel your energy change. The moment you feel a change, relax your shoulders, relax the area around your heart. The moment the energy moves, you simply relax and release. Play with letting go and falling behind the sense of being bothered. Let's say someone at work took your pencil. You notice that every time you go to use another one, your inner energy shifts, even the slightest amount. Are you willing to release the old painful pencil in order to liberate yourself? Is this how you make freedom again? Instead of getting into a being bothered, you get into being free. When you reach for a pencil and you see yourself getting a little uptight, let go. Your mind might start saying, there was a pencil today. If I let go, they'll step all over me, and it'll be my desk tomorrow, or my house, or even my husband. That's how my mind talks, very melodramatic. But you decide that for the cost of a pencil, you'll go for the ride. You tell your mind, when it's the car, we'll have a talk. But right now, it's only the cost of a pencil to be free. Just decide that no matter what the mind says, You aren't getting involved. You don't fight the mind. In fact, 
you don't even try to change it. You just make a game out of relaxing in the face of its melodrama. You simply learn how to release the tendency for getting drawn into the energy. The root is where the consciousness is aware of the pulling of these energies. You will see that the energy does have the power to draw you in. Even once you decide you're not going to let it happen, it still has tremendous power over you. It happens at work. It happens at home. It happens with your children, with your husband or wife. It happens with everything and everybody all the time. Your opportunities to grow are endless. It's always there in front of you. Just commit to not letting the energy draw you in. When you feel the pull, like somebody pulling on your heart, just let go. You fall behind it. Simply relax and release. And no matter how many times you're pulled, that's how many times you relax and release. Because the tendency to get drawn in is constant. The willingness to let go and fall behind will be constant. Your center of consciousness is always stronger than the energy that is pulling on it. You just have to be willing to exercise your will. But it's not a fight or a struggle. It's not that you're trying to stop the energies from coming up inside. There is nothing wrong with feeling the energies of fear, jealousy, or attraction. It's not your fault that such energies exist. All the attractions, repulsions, thoughts, and feelings don't make any difference. They don't make you pure or impure. They are not you. You are the one who's watching, and that one is pure consciousness. Don't think you'd be free if you just didn't have those kinds of feelings. That's not true. If you can be free even though you're having those kinds of feelings, then you're really free because there will always be something. If you can learn to remain centered with the smaller things, then you can see that you can also remain centered with the bigger things. Over time, you will find that you can even remain centered with the really big things. The types of events that destroyed you in the past can come and go, leaving you perfectly centered and peaceful. You can be fine, deep inside, even in the face of deep sense of loss. There's nothing wrong with having peaceful and being peaceful and centered as long as you are releasing the energy, not suppressing it. Ultimately, even if terrible things happen, you should be able to live without emotional scars and impressions. If you don't hold these issues inside, you can go about your life without getting psychologically damaged. No matter what events take place in life, it is always better to let go rather than to close. There is a place deep inside of you where the consciousness touches the energy. The energy touches the consciousness. That's where your work is. From that place, you let go. Once you've let go, every minute of every day, year after year, then that's where you'll live. Nothing will be able to take your seat of consciousness from you. You'll learn to stay there. After you've put years and years into this process and learned to let go no matter how deep the pain, you will achieve a great state. You will break the ultimate habit, the constant draw of the lower self. You will then be free to explore the nature and source of your true being, your consciousness. And Michael, welcome to the show. Well, 
the next chapter is called Freeing Yourself, more into the how-to in the next chapter. Yay. Well, the uh, the section that uh, that resonates for me as you're reading this is the section in Course in Miracles where it talks about responsibility for sight. And it runs along these lines. I mean, just opening it now. Basically what the Course says is, this, all you, uh, this is all you need to do for happiness. Complete escape from all pain and trauma. Say only this. To which the ego obviously responds, wow, yeah, that sounds good. I just have to say that, and then it's all done. And <clears throat> unfortunately, there's a little uh, condition in there. It says, say only this, but mean it with no reservations. And that's where the work is, to get to that point. So here's the, uh, the basic bottom line from the course on responsibility for sight. It says, I'm responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience, and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I've asked. Now, that basic statement, if you were brought up in the one world religion of universal religion of blame, is ridiculous because you know that everybody else is at fault. But what the Course is saying here, this simple paragraph is saying is, you are a creator. <clears throat> Pardon me, I have a frog in my throat. We are each creators. I decide upon the goal I would achieve. Everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I've asked. Deceive yourself no longer that you're helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge but that you have been mistaken, and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. Even this thing called the mind, you know, oftentimes people talk about how well the mind does this, the mind does that. The mind can only do what you've trained it to do. It's, it's like you have to come to the point of responsibility for everything. can't say, well, my mind, you know, just went into all that trauma. Well, yes, my mind went into that trauma, but my mind has no volition. My mind can only do what it's been trained to do. So if every time X happens, my mind goes into trauma, it does that because I've trained it to go into trauma. And I need to both untrain it and remove the content that takes me into those trauma situations, those upset, disturbing situations. So it's really a, a powerful thought. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless. Now, of course, you can think helpless, and, and being a creator, you're right, you'll be helpless. But then, as the Course goes on here to say, acknowledge but that you've been mistaken in all effects of your mistakes will disappear. It is impossible that the son or daughter of the Creator be merely driven by events outside of them. It is impossible that happenings come to you that were not your choice. The power of decision is the determiner of every situation in which you seem to find yourself by chance or accident. Now, 
we're going to make a distinction here between decision and choice. The course here speaks of decision in, in the sense that it is choice, but in fact it isn't. Decision, the mind is a decision-making machine. If I say don't think about the color of your car, you don't choose to think about the color of your car. Fire, brain cells fire in response to my voice. The law of resonance transfers energy to brain cells, and those brain cells fire. They take off. If I say, don't think about the front door of your house, what happens? Well, that's information that's in there. Automatically, that resonates, and the mind tends to move in that direction. That's called decision. Choice is a whole different thing. Choice is the ability to introduce something new to the mind that's never been seen in the mind before. So, actually, more properly, we could read this. The power of choice is the determiner of every situation in which you seem to find yourself by chance or accident. Of course, if the choice was made a long, long, long time ago and then forgotten then that choice becomes a decision. It becomes something stored in the mind that the mind just spits out on command. And the command is something in resonance shows up with it. No accident nor chance is possible within the universe as the creator created it. And outside of that, there is nothing. Suffer. And you decided that error was your goal. It can be a helpful video that links with this if you haven't watched it, or even if you have, it might be time to look at it again. If you go to our YouTube channel, and you can get there by going to our website, whyagain.org, and you'll see the list of, uh, of social media links. Hit the YouTube channel. That'll take you to our channel. Or you can just go to YouTube and type in Michael Rice, R-Y-C-E, and then look for the video responsibility for sight. Pardon me, I shifted there. Responsibility for sight is the, is the topic we're talking here, but the, the video that would be useful at this stage would be the one, what is the world? So if you tap into that, what is the world, it talks more about the way the mind works, the way resonance works, and how to remove content from the mind. And, of course, the, uh, the focal point, it seems, for much of Michael's writing here at this point is, is to develop the ability to just be able to step apart from your mind. Again, to become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feeling, the actor apart from the actions. And so a really powerful place to go is into that place where you're willing to throw out all thoughts based in somebody else is responsible for what's moving in me. You know, that happened, therefore I'm upset. No, that didn't happen, therefore you're upset. You held that upset in you, and that upset in you set you up for that, whatever the that was, to happen. And, of course, your mind responded with it's upset when you realize the power of resonance in our world, it's profoundly, profoundly powerful to recognize that energetically we draw things to us that match 
especially what we're not wanting to, what we're not willing to deal with. Well, Michael, why would that be? If I don't want to deal with it, why would that be the thing that comes to me? Well, how many times have you pushed that one down? And each time you push it down, you add energy to it. You know, imagine I've got a three-foot diameter spring. It stands three feet tall. It stands on the floor. Can that spring do anything? No. But if I push down on it and lock it, I've stored some potential energy in it. If I push down on it again and lock it and again and again and again and again, what happens when I let that lock go? It takes off because of all the potential that's been stored in it by pushing it down. So if there are experiences that we run from that we don't want to deal with, by doing so, we actually energize those patterns within ourselves, which then, again, through resonance, draws somebody in to play them out with us. And if you recognize that happening in your life, of course, that's the place to apply forgiveness. That's the place to collapse the pained content, to face and through forgiveness, collapse or remove that pained content and consciously, purposely introduce, and this is the power of choice, introduce to your mind something totally, completely different, perhaps something that's never been seen before. If somebody does a behavior that resonates upset, and most people just go off, you know, flapping their jaw about their upset and how somebody else did it to them. That's the power of decision. The power of choice is, hmm, here I am once again wanting to blame somebody else for what's moving in me. I think I'll apply forgiveness here, take responsibility for this, and shift into a different dynamic rather than just keep playing this out unconsciously. So that's the bottom line of this work. And that's where we want to head. Machine, does that resonate any thoughts for you? Exactly right on, for sure. And um, I think that kind of goes along with some of the conversation that a couple of people have been having over the last few days, and that is uh, actually one of the things that um, Magda had said when she was talking to Dr. Kim was, you know, the difference of, you know, meditating and sending love to someone, you know, whether it's you know, Putin or whoever in the world and and realizing that even when she was doing that, she still had a goal for them to change. And, you know, even though it was like mentally tossing a lot of love towards them, it was not necessarily for the highest and best, but it was for what she wanted, how she wanted them to do or how she wanted them to act, you know. And so underneath, underlying things like that is still the thought of, what they're doing not being right and it may not be right and they may you know need to be held accountable however focusing even on that um, makes more of it a lot of people I've heard say you know well I don't want to do the worksheets because that's putting energy into you know whatever the issue is and it's like well, yeah but you're still holding if you're holding that inside still you're still putting energy in it by pushing it down so by not doing a worksheet on it or not facing it, it's not going to make it go away. <laughs> so. Well, and the whole idea of the worksheet 
you know, when you recognize there's a, there's another powerful line in the course that says, you may wonder why you must look upon your hatred and realize its full extent. And then it goes on to talk about how the reason for that is because those things that show up in the surface mind don't stand on their own. There's a foundation under them. And when one engages in the forgiveness process, it's not just a matter of focusing into something negative that happened, but rather it's a matter of opening the veil, opening the barrier that allows the hidden part of the mind to come to the surface, to become acquainted with and de-energize the hidden part of the mind. The more it's hidden, the more it's like pushing down in the spring and locking it and adding energy to it. So the forgiveness process where, especially when you are following the prompts on the worksheet to breathe, are de-energizing the things that, you know, create issues in your life. De-emphasizing the energy, weakening the energy so that one has a more powerful ability to be conscious of what they're introducing into their minds and conscious of what's moving in their minds. So any thoughts, Miss Jeannie? Um, the only other thought that I had was when I was reading out of Michael Singer's book and he was talking about, you know, a car cutting you off or zipping by you instead of getting lost in the energy of, oh, look at that driver and what they did. Something that I do, and it actually creates a giggle in me, is that if somebody, like, zips by me, I did this the other day, I think you were in the car, and I said, oh, my, they must have to go to the bathroom really bad. (laughs) Put it in your your mind that they've got something else going on. It's not about me, you know, and just because they zipped around me may not have had anything to do with me driving – the speed limit or, or you know, being in, the, in front of them, they may just be totally thinking of something else, like I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> right. So, and that helps you get a giggle to it and lets go of any energy instead of attaching a meaning to it. You know, a lot of people do and say things, and they don't even realize you're in their space, and yet we take it personal, whatever it is that they did, and... And that's always based on something that happened to us in the past. And so we think, oh, it was personal back then, so it's personal now. And we attach, we turn it into a present experience, and it's not. Uh, And Yinka is with us in the chat room, and she did just send us an email uh, with the PowerPoints for tomorrow's book club. And if somebody out there has not participated in that book club, the information's on the website. You can just go to Schedule and uh, Global Book Club, and the sign-in information is there. Uh, Michael participates in it on the second and fourth Thursday of every month, and they're going through the Why Is This Happening to Me Again chapter by chapter, and I think you're up to chapter six or seven. Six, I believe, and, yes. Uh, so... Uh, you know, be a part of that. So that information, the login information is all on the website so you can participate. You have people from all over the globe, and that's at uh, 3.30 Eastern Time, 8.30 London Time. So be part of everything that's offered to you. There are so many tools out there and so much being offered 
to help you and support you, and that's why we're here on this show. And, you know, people, I've uh, seen some that will send a text and say, you know, I raised my hand. Yeah, but you waited to the last three minutes of the show, and we were already in the middle of a conversation with someone else. Oh, Yinka just said Chapter 6, but this week we'll be going through a worksheet. That's right. So thank you for bringing that reminder up. So anyway, if you've got a question, press one now because we've got 27 minutes. We have plenty of time to give you all of the time that you need to um, address, you know, whatever's up for you or whatever comment or question. Or, you know, don't wait till the last three minutes and then press one. Self-sabotage. Well, there's another section on the Course in Miracles that uh, had a strong inclination to, to go through. And so if we don't have any hands up, I think we'll talk about that. Okay, there are no hands up. So this section is called, okay, Development of Trust. And he's talking about people who choose to become people who would teach the truth about who we are as love. The line of the Course is, teach only love, for that is what you are. And that there's a process to go through in developing trust. And they, they lay the, uh, the process out in a pretty interesting fashion. First, one must go through what might be called a period of undoing. This need not be painful, but it is usually so experienced. It seems as if things are being taken away, and it is rarely understood initially that their lack of value is merely being recognized. How can lack of value be perceived unless the perceiver is in a position where he must see things in a different light? He is not yet at the point at which he can make the shift entirely internally, and so the plan will sometimes call for changes in what seem to be external circumstances. These changes are always helpful. When the teacher of love has learned that much, they go on to the second stage. Now the teacher of love must go through a period of sorting out. This is usually somewhat difficult. Having learned that changes in life are always helpful, one must now decide all things on the basis of whether they increase the helpfulness or hamper it. He will find that many, if not most of the things he valued before, will merely hinder his ability to transfer what he's learned to new situations as they arise. Because he's valued what is really valueless. You know, it's it's interesting that most people carry around a whole list of defenses and they put value in those defensive, never realizing that when they value their defenses, they're spending their creative energy on creating something to be defensive about. You know, one of the early lessons in the course is in my defenselessness, my power and safety lie and recognizing with this law of resonance that if I'm defensive about something, then there's an energy in me that I'm continuously broadcasting. I'm continuously radiating about defense. And 
as long as that energy is moving in me, somebody's going to show up to play it out for me. So to let go of the value of valuing things like defenses and value living as a true human being, value responding to life as love would respond to life becomes a whole different game. So you decide all things on the basis of whether they increase helpfulness or hamper it. One will find that many, if not most of the things they valued before, merely hinder the ability to transfer what's been learned to new situations as they arise. Because this person has valued what is really valueless, he or she will not generalize the lesson for fear of loss and sacrifice. It takes great learning to understand that all things, events, encounters, and circumstances are helpful. It is only to the extent which they are helpful that any degree of reality should be accorded them in this world of illusion. The word value can apply to nothing else. The third stage through which the teacher of love must go through is called, or can be called, a period of relinquishment. If this is interpreted as giving up the desirable, it will tend to engender enormous conflict. Few teachers of love escape this distress entirely. There is, however, no point in sorting out the valuable from the valueless unless the next obvious step is taken. Therefore, the period of overlap is apt to be one in which the teacher of love feels called upon to sacrifice his own best interests on behalf of truth. He has not realized, as yet, how wholly impossible such a demand would be. He can learn this lesson only as he actually does give up the valueless. Through this, one learns that where they anticipated grief, they find a happy lightheartedness instead. And where one thought something was asked of him, he finds a gift bestowed. Next comes a period of of settling down. This is a quiet time in which the teacher of love rests a while in reasonable peace. Now he or she consolidates their learning. Now one begins to see the transfer value of what has been learned. Its potential is literally staggering, and the teacher of love is now at the point in his, his or her progress at which they see their whole way out. Give up what you do not want and keep what you do. How simple is the obvious and how easy to do. The teacher of love needs this period of respite. He or she has not come yet as far as they think. And yet, when they are ready to go on, they go with mighty companions beside them. But now one rests a while and gathers those companions before going on. No one goes on from this point alone. The next stage is indeed a period of unsettling. Now must the teacher of God understand 
that he did not really know what was valuable and what was valueless. All that he'd really learned so far was that he did not want the valueless, and that he did want the valuable, yet his own sorting out was meaningless in teaching him the difference. The idea of sacrifice, so central to one's thought system, has made it impossible for them to judge. One thought they had learned willingness, but now they see that they do not know what the willingness is for. And now one may attain this estate that may remain impossible to reach for a long, long time. He or she must learn to lay aside judgment and only ask what they really want in every circumstance. We're not each step in this direction so heavily reinforced. It would be hard indeed. And finally, there's a period of achievement. It is here that learning is consolidated. Now what was seen as merely shadows before becomes solid gains to be counted on in all emergencies, as well as in tranquil times. Indeed, their tranquility is their result. The outcome of honest learning, consistency of thought, and full transfer. This is a stage of real peace. For here is the state that kingdom of love fully reflected. From here, the way to what people call heaven, the community of love is open and easy. In fact, it is here. It is never left. Anywhere, if peace of mind was already complete. And who would seek to change tranquility for something more desirable? What could be more desirable than this? Giving up the attachment to irritation, to the desire to blame, the desire to complain, or the actual act of complaining. Giving up all of the verbiage, literally the language that relates to disturbance and upset. And choosing in every circumstance, even where there's trauma going on, to value a tranquil mind, a mind connected with love, more than valuing a mind connected to upset that can tell a whole big story that one is a victim. So there's a lot of giving up to be done in this process of learning trust. And it's a lesson, in my experience, that comes back around in many different ways over time. It's not learned just once. This this cycle, one does not go through just once, but goes through it layer by layer by layer, each time developing a deeper appreciation for the serenity that follows.
So we're here to hold the space and to join you in that serenity. And if there's some way that we can support you, our call-in number again, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And if you have a question for us, push one, and let's have a conversation. So if you're out there in this land, what's on your mind? Let's hear from you. What's happening in your world? Is there anywhere we can offer you some refinements or where you perhaps can offer us some refinements? This ongoing process, the layers and levels of achieving this called trust has many depths and many levels to it. And for me, what I've found as, is that as I go through those layers and move into those deeper levels of trust, the settled state just resting in a state of connectedness and harmony is so different than attempting to rest in a state where the mind has always got something to whine and complain about. The idea of forgiving the ability to even be in disturbance for most is a like just something that's like, well, well, wait a minute, but there's so many things to be disturbed about. Well, that's one of the big lies of the mind. There's nothing to be disturbed about in the world. Oh, Michael, you haven't been watching all the crazy. Oh, hey, I'm with you. There is so much crazy stuff going on right now. It's beyond belief. But that's not a reason to be disturbed. That's just being aware there's some crazy stuff going on. If I bring a quiet, serene, connected mind to a crazy world, then I make a contribution called silence and serenity to the crazy world. I can create support for assisting and supporting people in processing through the crazies, which most of the world are trapped in. So joining you in breathing and in that state of serenity and what's on your mind? Push one. Any other thoughts for you, Miss Jeannie? Well, there was actually, I just thought of the three movies that we have seen lately. Actually, one was a series called The Outlander, and it's not the not the regular Netflix series. This was, um, and actually, Separate I didn't movie. know that it was a, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a movie. It wasn't a series. And that there was, right. as, he has a ship. From a far, he's from a far-off world, and he crashes on Earth during, I don't know when it was, back in the Ice Age or whatever. But anyway, um, on the ship, he had an alien predator with him called the Morin. And it, I got to thinking, you know, this man had to, before he could find the forgiveness, because what he, one of the things he talks about in it is that 
they went to where this so-called predator lived and they tried to kill them all and t- take their land, kind of like you know they did in Avatar, kind of like what happens on this planet. And he got to the point of, you know, the the predator is just trying to save his own land. It's his. And they took it from him and they killed them, you know, calling them the enemy or whatever. But anyway, it had a really good story. But he had to crash and face his own inner demon before he could get to the point where he could actually have compassion even for the predator. And then we watched another one that was kind of comical uh, called Chupa and it was uh, also on Netflix but this young boy finds this creature it looks like a a, of some kind with wings and um, he befriends it and tries to you know reach out to it and save it and and look at something different you know other than what the norm is and he develops a strength within himself because he reaches out to this other creature and then last night we watched one called 17 and this boy who constantly gets in trouble um, and he's in juvenile detention and there's a shelter dog that befriends him and he learns to reconnect with his older brother and settle a lot of things that were going on inside himself And so facing, you know, like the darkness and then overcoming it. It was interesting. Each one of them brought it around to that of of there there comes a point where you have to embrace and face what's going on inside of you. Oh, there is a question in the chat room. Basic messages of the course. Great. Let's say hello to the chat. Okay, Jinka, she says, question today. I was talking to someone who felt like giving up on doing worksheets as their life doesn't seem to be getting any better. What advice would you give or would you do a worksheet on it? (laughs) Well, one of the things that I've observed over the years and, and have done myself is you do worksheets on doing worksheets. Some people are like, I don't want a resistance. No, I don't want to go there. And then the other thing is to recognize, you know, if you say to someone, well, let's see, this, this issue you're thinking about, when's the first time you can remember having a disturbance, something like that? And oftentimes people say, well, you know, I can remember that when I was a kid. That was, you know, 40 years ago. And, you know, thinking in terms of the book, why is this happening to me again? How many times have you been through that? Oh, geez, I can't even count how many times that's happened to me. And so what you want to do is you want to do one worksheet and you want something that took you, well, by the way, let me ask a different question. Do you remember ever watching any of the authorities in your life go through anything? Oh, yeah, I can remember my father used to, he used to complain about this same thing all the time. So in essence, what you're telling me is you're looking at a generational pattern that you've just identified and you know it's gone on for at least four decades in your life, and it went on in at least one of your parents' lives. And uh, you've done two worksheets on it and you want it to be done? Cannot process an issue that has a greater amount of trauma than the level of vitality that they have. And so 
It takes willingness. You go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and they said to him, you know, how many of these darn worksheets do we have to do? How many times do I have to forgive as to my brother? Is seven times enough? And Yeshua's answer in Aramaic is no, 77 times 70. How many times will you have to look to process through every layer of this issue? And standing in the space of willingness to be patient with yourself, developing, you know, whenever there's a lack of patience, oh, I'm not going to bother doing another one of those, there's the next worksheet on patience. And so if you realize, especially, you know, for most people who tap into this work, they're early adopters. They're the first in the family system to ever really start to look at life and think in this way. And the first to actually recognize that forgiveness is something other than letting other people off the hook for what's moving in us. And if you realize you're the early adopter, you're at the end of a pattern of pained experiences that in many cases, you know, in many family systems has been going on for generations and generations and generations. Have patience and go through the process. I've seen people who came to the point of frustration, you know, they started to do this work and then literally ran away, disappeared. And I've seen it take 10 years for them to come back. And, and the, the one person I'm thinking of, it was a 10-year period, and this woman contacted me. She'd, she'd done a significant amount of the work over a period of just a couple of months and then, you know, kind of felt like, well, this isn't moving fast enough. I'm going to go on and do something else. And about 10 years later, she called me. And she said, I, I was getting a book from my bookshelf, and your book fell off the shelf and hit me in the head. And so I decided it was time to read it again. I sat down and read it. And by the way, when's your next intensive? I need to get to an intensive. And it was like couldn't move fast enough to get to the next level of her work. So resistance often comes up, and that's another topic for worksheets. But patience is, uh, is a, a definite uh, goalpost along the way to develop the patience to be with the process, to trust the process, and to embrace what are often generational patterns. Also, just, you know, tapping into support can be a real key in the process. If one's off doing this on their own, the mind can come up with all sorts of reasons why this couldn't possibly work, I couldn't possibly make progress, and therefore stay in the same cycle. But, you know, if it's been going on for decades or generations, it's not going to end overnight. It's just that simple. She says that what you said is exactly what's going on for them. Um, uh, they went into talking about the father and all the things he had said and done, and she said it actually opened up a worksheet for her as she got annoyed with them for continually complaining regardless of what was offered to them and that there was reason for it and why it wasn't going to work. And the layer system peel out and, and 
you know, of course, you didn't get annoyed with anybody. You've never, I've never, nobody's ever been annoyed with anybody else. But if there's annoyance in there, you know, anybody can bring it up and we can put it into our brain's image of anyone. And of course, if annoyance come up, comes up and you want to live without it, then you work to forgive your annoyance. So next worksheet. So I hope that helps. And there are, are a lot of people who want to stay a victim. And it's like, if I do worksheets and clear this issue up, you know, then who am I going to be? Yep. Yeah, the old victim self, it's experience. You know, 2,000 years ago, yesterday we talked about in order for you to live, you've got to die. And when that old self starts to fall apart, it can be very threatening and experienced as a very real death. And it's just part of the process. One of the things you might do, Yinka, is invite that person to join us tomorrow. And, you know, if they've got more specific questions, perhaps that would be a good part of the conversation. And or maybe they'll be the subject for the worksheet if they'd like to do it. And by the way, if anybody wants to join us for that tomorrow, it'll be at 3 o'clock. Pardon me, 3.30, right? 3.30. 3.30 tomorrow, Eastern Time, 8.30 if you're in London, England, where the uh, Yinka has her book study club. And so join us if you go to the notes. I'm sure Jeannie's already got a link in there. And or you can go to event our events page on whyagain.org, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And the link will be there for the Zoom call. Come join us. And it will also go into the archives. We're going to do a step-by-step walk somebody through a worksheet tomorrow in the show, in the book study club. Well, we're down to the last minute, so I'm just going to say thank you very much for joining us. I hope each of you has the best year yet of your eternal life. And hope we'll see you tomorrow's show and for the Hear My Voice book club at 3.30 Eastern Time. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the First Century Aramaic Internal Process of Forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on MindShifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.